Kirk, I appreciate that. Folks, God is moving. God's working on lives. Uh, I, I love these testimonies. Um, in staff meeting uh, Tuesday, uh, we were talking about the, the experiencing God testimonies that we've been doing. And um, next Sunday, we're not, I'm not preaching on experiencing God. Next Sunday, we're, we're taking uh, the week off from experiencing God. We won't have our, our e-groups next Sunday night. You will tonight, but not next Sunday night. So we were talking about, okay, we won't need, a, uh, won't need a testimony next week. And I said, why not? I've enjoyed these testimonies. I love to hear what God is doing in uh, uh, your lives. You get a glimpse of what he's doing in my life every Sunday because if, if the passage, the message doesn't speak to me first, it won't speak to you either. So... I kind of put it on Amy to find people to give testimonies <laughs> every Sunday. So if she comes to you and asks you, hey, what's God been doing to, for you this week, this month, this year? Just know that question's probably going to be followed up with, well, can you tell the church about it this Sunday? Uh, and pray about that. that. That is a great opportunity. Uh, if, if, you, if you are doing Experiencing God, this week, some of the lessons we're talking about, the way we move forward as a church and know what God is doing and where he's leading us is by the people of the church speaking up and saying, this is what God is doing in my life. I'm, 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 I'm preaching a sermon that I didn't plan on preaching, so I've got to be careful here. Um, <clears throat> but that's, that's where we want to be. We want to hear... Uh, we as a church will move forward because God moves not just in our church but through the individuals of the church and then we will move forward. All right, that's enough of that sermon. Now for my other sermon. Uh, take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 is our memory verse this week. Uh, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, or some version of that, depending on which translation you used. But we're going to look at verses 3 through 8. Uh, that's what we're going to look at that, that full section there um, this morning. Now, let me ask you uh, this question. How... Many, and, and I actually I want to phrase that question differently. What body parts does a juggler use? What body parts does a juggler use? Think about it. It, it might be help if you could see one. Uh, well, no, we don't have a video. My debut. Now, what parts does the juggler use, right? I mean, we can, you can look at me, you can see there are a number of different things going on here. Whoop. Now, what parts does he use? Thank you. That's, that's, that's it. That's all I'm going to do. Now, now I want answers to the questions. What parts do I use? Eyes, hands, arms, brain. Thank you for acknowledging that I actually have one. 
feet, right? If, you, if we really begin to think about it, there are very few parts of my body I did not use. I mean, digestive system, I, I have the, the, the endocrine system, because trust me, there was a little adrenaline going uh, right then, a little nerves happening. Uh, yeah, I, I threw one a little wrong. I had to go and get it, so I used my feet and my legs. There, there weren't many parts that I didn't use. Now, some of them aren't as obvious. Y'all didn't see the digestion happening. You didn't see me breathing necessarily. You didn't see the heartbeat go in and a little faster than it was prior to that. Similarly, if uh, when, when we sing, when I sing, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, what what body parts am I using? Juggling, I didn't use my vocal cords really, except that I was talking to you. But just to juggle, I don't use my vocal cords. So that's something that wasn't a part of that act. But when I sing, I am using my vocal cords. But there are other parts that maybe I'm not using as much, depending on uh, how I'm doing it. Stand there if I sing. I'm still using my legs. I want to stand up straight and good posture so I can breathe from my gut and all this stuff. You know, that's a lot of different parts to do one thing. There was a clear diversity, right, in, in the parts that were being used to juggle. But there was also uh, an obvious unity in the accomplishment of that one goal of keeping Two balls in the air at the same time? I've never been able to quite figure out how many balls are in the air at the same time. I can't juggle five. You know, three is it. Uh, that's all I learned to do. At least one in the air and one on its way up as another one comes down. But all, everything, my eyes, my, my, my thought process, all that was focused on that one accomplishment, that one goal. The church, then, is to exemplify that unity in diversity. We're going to see that this morning as we move through Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Read it with me. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. So here we have... We come to the, the lesson in experiencing God, uh, God's will and the church. Knowing what God's will is as a church. We all have a responsibility in, uh, for both knowing and pursuing God's will for the church. Romans uh, 5, uh, 12, 3 through 8 gives us that image of how that would work, how we get there, how we move to that point. Uh, verse 3 begins with the word for, almost like therefore. You always have to go back uh, to, to what was immediately prior when you see the word for or, or therefore. Uh, 
the verses that are before this, we know very well. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable or your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. For, then, he says... uh, because what is coming next is the, the visible result of this transformed life, this renewing of the mind, uh, this transformed life from the renewing of the mind that he talks about in verse 2. So he says, in that case, since your, your, your mind is being renewed and your life is being transformed, then by the grace given to me, Paul says, I tell, so in case you have any doubt about Paul's authority to tell us what to do, his authority in Christ as an apostle, his authority as one who speaks God's very words here. He tells you, I've got the authority to tell you what to do. By the grace given to me, he says, I tell everyone among you in verse 3. Now, this is emphatic Emphatic, I've talked about this before, word location in Greek uh, gives us certain emphasis. And he puts everyone among you, this little phrase, in the emphatic position. He is telling everybody in the church, every member, every individual this. All of you I'm giving this message to. This is not just to the leaders. This is not just to committee members. This is not just to Sunday school teachers. This is not just to ministry staff. This is to every single member of the church. Every one of you. And now we get to the real heart of the passage. In your home, in the Christian Standard translation, and if that's the, the one you're using from the pew in front of you, It says, I I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Paul does a wonderful play on words here. And I have a, a, a little different translation for you on the screen so you can see what he does with the word Think Or in Greek, it's actually uh, the root word think. He uses that root word twice. And then the word think with a prefix two different times. So you get this constant repetition, something like what he says here. Not think beyond what is necessary to think, but that you think with sober thinking. He's, he's driving this idea home of what you believe about yourself. This is the force and the command of this passage. This is calling every individual to not think of himself or herself more highly than he ought. This is a denunciation of pride. Pride, I believe, is the root cause of every sin. I think if we go to any sinful act, we can find at its root, in some form, pride, selfishness. It's all about me. The rest of this passage, all the way through verse 8 then, will explain how we can do this. How we can not think beyond what is necessary to think about that, uh, to think 
but that you think with sober thinking. The rest of this passage is going to tell us how we are to do that. The previous verse, verses 1 and 2, but really verse 2, tells us how we get to this point to begin with. We experience transformation, a a transformed life, because we renew our minds. We think differently. This is a theme for Paul throughout. In other places, he's going to say, have this mind uh, that is also in Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Change your thinking. It starts with us. Actually, it starts with Christ transforming us, but then there is a responsibility that we have toward our sanctification, and partly, at least, that begins with, at least as this passage tells us, how we view ourselves. We must know that we have been changed. We are not what we were. And if we were prideful, Jesus has changed that. If we were scathing, Jesus has changed that. If we were liars, Jesus has changed that. If we were drunkards, Jesus has changed that. If we are murderers, were murderers, Jesus has changed that. If, if we were slanderers, Jesus has changed that. If we were adulterers, Jesus has changed that. If we were anything that was contrary to Scripture because of the transformed life that comes about by the renewing of our mind, we, through Jesus have had that changed in our lives. If we don't experience that change, we've got issues. And if we don't see that change as a church, then we end up not functioning as a body as we should. So Paul tells us, you've... you've uh, don't think of yourself more highly than you should think. Uh, and, and, and here is why. First of all, he says at the end of uh, verse 3 that as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one, to each individual in the church, each member of the church. Now, there are two views of what this measure of faith means. The first view is that it means different amounts of faith. I have more faith than you have, and this other person has more faith than I have, and, and we all have uh, various levels of faith, and, and that could be true, and it is true that some of us have more faith in particular circumstances than others, may, and, and it could be just at certain times. I, today, I may have more faith in something, uh, uh, but tomorrow, for whatever reason, my faith is lacking, but you're the one that encourages me and lifts me up and, and, and prods me on because you have more faith. It, it could be that, but it it seems to be that that is not what he's talking about here. When he says, uh, he, when he talks about a measure of faith to each one, what he's saying is every one of us, every individual has received the same faith. The same faith that saved me is the faith that saved you. And, 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 and you, and you, and you, and every one of us. We have the same faith. And that faith, then, is our standard of comparison. Well, what do you mean exactly by that, Michael? I, I, what I mean is, when we begin to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, 
We look at the person next to us that maybe we are thinking less of as we think of ourselves more highly, and we say, that person has the same faith that I have. Our standard of faith is Jesus Christ. Would I, would I think of myself more highly if I was standing next to Jesus? No. So, if she or he has the same Jesus that I have, how can I think of myself more highly than she or he? Him or her. I'm going to get my grammar right. The same faith has been received that saved us. That is our standard of comparison. So Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought because you have all received the same faith the same gospel. You are all saved by the same thing. None of you earned it. None of you were good enough to get it. So you can't look at someone and say, ah, I'm better than you. I got more salvation than you have. No, we are all equal when it comes to our salvation. So don't think of yourself more highly. Your, your salvation is the same. But Paul continues in verse 4 and says, as an example, as an analogy, we know that uh, just like there are many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. So he, he immediately begins with the uh, diversity, uh, the extreme diversity in the human body. I mean, just think of the differences between the hand and the ear. They are nothing alike except they're covered in skin. Bones, cartilage. My hand does not hear, but I can't grab anything with my ear. Extreme diversity. And yet, if I hear a mosquito buzzing, my ear knows, my ears know it's over here. And my hand swats at it. Extreme diversity, yet unity in that diversity. My foot is not my nose, but they both smell, right? <laughs> Just seeing if you're listening. My, my foot's not my nose. I can't walk on my face, and, and, and my, my feet don't run. <laughs> but my nose does. It's another joke. Um, there's, there's an extreme difference between those two. And yet, when I smell uh, Etta cooking a, uh, uh, a chocolate sheet cake in the kitchen, my feet take me there in a hurry because I know she's probably going to be doing the icing next and I get to lick the bowl because I'm the daddy. Diversity, but unity of purpose. The other thing that we see about our human body is that each part is always doing its responsibility, performing its responsibility, or at the very least, it's prepared to. Now, some of you, as, as you get older, are saying, mm, all my parts ain't doing what they're supposed to. I get that, but you know what we call that when it happens? Broken. So we should be able to call that in a church as well, broken when all the parts aren't doing what they are supposed to or are at least prepared to do what they are supposed to. So he, he opens the analogy up. Now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, verse 5 he says, in the same way we who are many are one body. Just 
like the human body has various parts that work in totally different ways and yet it is still unified for one purpose even to the ability to juggle three tennis balls even with all that diversity there is unity the focus here is on unity he's not focusing on the diversity Diversity is something that he's going to bring up again, but he, he, he kind of twists it on us. He says, just like the body has many different parts, so the church has unity in its different parts. Even in our diversity of roles as a church, as individuals, we must have unity. The story's told, and anytime a preacher says that, it means it's a joke. And I'm a horrible joke teller, but I'm going to tell it anyway. The story is told that uh, in a small town, there was a, a, a particular gentleman who got in an accident and died. And the, the city leaders got together, the pastor and the, the, you know, the, sheriff, the, the uh, police chief and, and mayor and said, how are we going to go tell the wife? Because the wife was a particularly nervous, high-strung type of woman. And, and they said, how are we going to tell her? We need, we need somebody to go and tell her that's going to break it to her easily and, and, and carefully and slowly and softly so as to not get her stirred up. So they decided to send this particular gentleman. Uh, so the gentleman went to uh, Mrs. Smith's house. and I'm, I'm, They prepared him and said, look, you've got to, you're going to have to break this to her gently carefully slowly you can't just barge in with the information so the gentleman goes to the door knocks on the door lady comes to the door and the gentleman at the door says is this the widow smith's residence <laughs> and she said uh, well i'm uh, i'm mrs smith but i'm not a widow and he said that's what you think now, see, his, he was not chosen well, right? Mercy, as we're going to see at the end of uh, the passage, that was not his spiritual gift. We all have roles. Some of us, y'all, it's horrible to be put in a position where God has not called you nor gifted you. You are miserable. But God has gifted you for something. And God may call you to something you aren't gifted for or don't believe you're gifted for. You don't want to be in any position that you're not gifted for or called to. But you don't want to be out of any position that God has gifted you for or called you to. Because you will be just as miserable and then the body won't work. The gentleman visiting Mrs. Smith experienced that. So in the same way, these, these uh, members... Are, uh, are one body. We work together. We are diverse but unified. Now here is where I am going to disagree with the good Dr. Blackaby. Dr. Blackaby and, and our uh, Experiencing God said that every uh, person on your role is a member of the church. I'm going to disagree with him and say membership is not defined as a name on a role, biblically. They knew nothing of accepting members and voting on them in a business meeting in the early church. 
They didn't have that sort of role. Uh, because according to the, that definition of membership, First Baptist Church of Sulphur has over 1,300 members. Did you know that? We have a membership of 1,300 people. That means we're only missing about 1,275 people this morning. That's all. Membership is not defined by a name on a piece of paper. Biblical membership, being part of the body, is defined by contribution. And I'm not talking about financial contribution, though that is part of it. But biblical membership is defined by you being a part of the body and using your gift that God has given you as a part of the body to uh, to, to accomplish the goal of the body. Just as attachment and use to a human body defines its membership. Now, it would be difficult, maybe not impossible, but it would be difficult for me to juggle three tennis balls if I lost my left arm. If I were in an accident somehow and, and my left arm got cut off and, 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 and there it is, just lying over there, and it, it's, is it a part of my body now? No. Why is it not a part of my body anymore? What if I keep it? What if I take it home? You know, put it in formaldehyde or stuff it. Put it on the mantle. Is it still a part of my body? It, it, it's still my arm, right? Why isn't it a part of my body? It's not attached. It can no longer contribute to the purpose uh, or the goal that my body is at that moment pursuing. Church membership's the same way. We have names on our role that haven't been here in 30 years. Are, are, are they contributing? Are they a part of what we are doing? Or are they detached? Doesn't mean we can't... Uh, modern medicine is incredible. They might be able to reattach my arm and make it useful again. And that is very real possibility, I think. Uh, I know they can do fingers. I don't know about whole arms. Will our membership, people who haven't been here in years, can, can they come and reattach and, and be a part? Oh, absolutely. But when we look around and we're asking what biblical membership is, it is talking about those who are here, those who are functioning, those who are a part of the body and are doing what God has called them to do. God has never called a church member to stay home for 20 years from the church. It has never been, uh, there's not a spiritual gift, uh, that's never a calling on a church member at all. So when we talk about the body, when we talk about uh, we talk about responsibility, when we talk about contribution, when we talk about one body working together, we are talking about everybody moving in the same direction with the same goal uh, and the same purpose. But we do that not just willy-nilly, not just uh, as a mental exercise, not just as something, oh, we'll figure out as we go, but Paul keeps going and he says, we are one body in Christ. Our unity as a church is neither based nor dependent 
on us. We're not unified because our names are on a piece of paper. We're not unified because there's a particular name on the outside of the church or on the sign. It, that's not what unifies us. What unifies us is Christ. It is, uh, our, our unity is based on that, and we will only remain unified when we remain in Christ. Without that, then we experience disunity. Different roles, different functions, different abilities, different responsibilities all proceed from and point to Christ. God has called each of us to contribute in a different way, even though some of us may have the same gifts, some of us may have some of the same responsibilities, even in those responsibilities we contribute differently because God has given us different personalities, different characteristics. He uses all those things. He called me to pastor this church with all of my personality and all of my characteristics, some of which some people don't like. But God called me here for that. Not of, none of my sin. God didn't call me here because of my sinfulness, but personalities and characteristics aren't sinful. They can be used sinfully, but they aren't sinful. So he has called you and placed you in a position with certain personalities and characteristics to fulfill your role, your function, your ability, and your responsibility only to point to Jesus. That's it. We don't function, we don't serve, we, don't, we aren't a part of a church to point to ourselves or to First Baptist Sulphur. We are here to point to Jesus. And then he just really kicks us and says, not only are we members of one body in Christ, but we are individually members of one another. Now this is a mystery that the analogy of the body can't cover. Because the reality is, the ear isn't the eye, isn't the foot on our bodies. The ear isn't the eye, isn't the foot. But in the church, in Christ, the ear is the eye, is the foot. And that doesn't make sense. But individually, as members, we are one, members of one another. Because we are in Christ. There's the mystery. So it is, it, it's me and you, and we are one in the body. We, we, we sing a song, and we, we have for years. We are one in the bond of love. We are one in Christ, the Bible tells us. You and I are the same. We are one, all of us. Now we understand why it hurts Jesus when the church fights. Because we're one. Now you know why it hurts us when the church fights. Because we are one. How many of you had a big brother or a sister who was old enough, enough older than you that she was stronger than you for a long time? It's okay, be honest, your sister beat up on you. It's all right. How many of you loved it when big brother or big sister grabbed you by your forearms and said, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, and hit you in the face with your own hands? I didn't see any hands go up on that because nobody liked it. Yet that is exactly what we do as a church when we fight, when we experience disunity when we slander, when we lie, 
The devil is holding us by the forearms, whoever in our church is the forearms, and he is slapping us in the face saying, stop hitting yourself. Who is the head of uh, the church? Oops, I gave it away. Who is the head of the church? Christ. So who are we hurting when we experience arguments, fights, disunity? Individually, members of one another. And then Paul wraps it up, and we're going to move quickly through these, these gifts. He, he, he wraps up this passage, uh, this, this, yeah, this passage uh, talking about various gifts, not an exhaustive list at all. As a matter of fact, there is no exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. There could be hundreds of them. But he tells us in verse 6, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. According to the grace measured to us, according to the standard of faith, according to the standard of what God did, what Jesus does, we all have different gifts. We didn't make them, and we didn't merit them. I've told you before, my ability to preach is a spiritual gift. I mean, whether you like my preaching or not, the fact that I can stand here before people and talk for any length of time, whether it's a good length or a bad length, uh, is a spiritual gift. Because I could not do this before I was called to preach. I did not want to do this before I was called to preach. But when I was called to preach, God enabled me to do things I cannot, could not have done on my own. He will do the same for you. And he lists these seven uh, gifts here. He says, uh, if, if, if prophecy, if, if the truth being proclaimed, if God has gifted you to proclaim truth in a place where the truth is uncomfortable, uh, think Jeremiah, think Isaiah, think Paul, think anybody else you can think of off the top of your head that's willing to say things that make people uncomfortable and gets them in trouble, but they tell you where it says it in the Bible, and I can't think of anybody on top of my head. Uh, if, you're, if that is your gift then do that prophecy by the standard of faith, by that same standard that, uh, that is your, your salvation is based on. Line it up with Christ. And if the message is from Jesus, share that message. If, if your gift is service, service here would be merciful acts, then serve. If you know you have the gift of service, then there's no time where you shouldn't be serving. I don't, don't mean you don't take a break now and then, but when the opportunity arises for you as a gifted person of service, then serve. If you don't, you're not using your gift. Teaching, an explanation of Scripture. If, if you aren't teaching, if, if you have the gift of teaching, then teach. If you aren't teaching, then you are not serving the body the way you should. You're, you're not the hand grasping that you should or the, the foot upholding that, that should be there. If your gift is, ex is exhorting, encouraging other people, I have some friends that are great encouragers. Y'all, I know my spiritual gift is not encouraging. I know that. Y'all do too. But some people have it. And if that is your gift, then encourage, exhort. Paul says, if your spiritual gift is giving... Probably, primarily, he's talking about financially here, and that doesn't mean you're rich. You, 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 you give, generosity uh, is based not on your wealth, but on your willingness. So if your gift is giving, then give. Give generously. 
Paul says. That is your gift. That is what God has prepared you and, 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 and made you to do. If, if your gift is leading, if you're a decision maker, not everybody's a decision maker, y'all. Not everybody's a leader. We've seen bad leaders. We know bad leaders. We've seen people who we thought that'd make a great leader, and they get in that position, no, they don't really. But if you are gifted to it, if you are called to it, then do it diligently. Make sure you are leading as you should, even in the difficulty. And then the last one he uses is mercy. Care ministry, visiting the sick, uh, that sort of thing. Do it cheerfully. Don't be like the gentleman visiting Mrs. Smith. That's not the gift of mercy. Is this the widow Smith's residence? So we see all these things, church. Church members, believers, that we are to be as a body. But unbelievers... Before you can ever present your bodies a living sacrifice, as verse 1 says. Before you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as verse 2 tells you. Before you can receive a measure of faith, as verse 3 tells us. Before you can be one body or be a part of one body in Christ, as verse 5 says. Before you can ever receive a gift of any kind, as verse 6 tells us. You must accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. All of this stuff is just a theory without salvation through Jesus Christ. And that is actually God's first will for you this morning. God has a will for his church. God has a plan for us. But if you have never accepted Christ, he has one will and one plan for you, and that is your salvation. And how do we experience that? We need to come to the recognition, the realization that God is holy and just, and he will judge sin. There is no universal salvation. God's not just going to forget the fact that he was holy It's not going to work that way. He understands fully his holiness and his justice, and he will judge sin someday. That's who God is. I, we are willfully sinful. We are fallen, and we are destined to experience that judgment through everlasting torment. That's who we are. And that is something we cannot escape on our own, by our own power, any more than we can have a spiritual gift on our own or by our own power, nor can we experience salvation on our own, by our own power. That brings us to who Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect Son of God who took our place and our sin on the cross. He died for everybody, for you and for me, and rose three days later to prove that he had conquered death and hell prove uh, that he had taken our place in judgment taken our sin but it's not automatic we don't just experience salvation because Jesus died we must make a choice we must choose to follow him we must believe we must repent of our sin place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him and then live for him. Accept him as our Savior, take my sin, and Lord, take my life. And then you can experience 
a transformed life by a renewed mind. You can experience a measure of faith, the same measure that every other believer has. Then you can experience what it is to be a part of one body in Christ and individually as members of each other. Then you can experience what it is to be gifted by the Holy Spirit to do something you never thought you could do. But you must begin at the cross and begin with salvation. Will you begin this morning with salvation? Pray with me. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness, your holiness and your justice. God, your, your forgiveness, your grace and your mercy that in the midst of our sin gave us a cross. Thank you for the willingness of Jesus to go to that cross and bear our sins for us, Lord. And may we experience what your first will is for us today. If there's someone here who has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would respond in faith this morning. They may do it right where they are. They may come forward. It doesn't matter. Lord, it matters what goes on in their heart this morning. If they will turn to you, call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And I pray that they will do that today. God, if, if there is a, a member of the body here this morning that has not been functioning as the member that they should, they've, been, they've not been fulfilling their responsibility, whatever their responsibility or role is, I pray this morning that we will correct that and that we will begin to function in unity, in diversity, as a body, as the body of Christ, and that we would no longer harm the head, hurt Jesus by our disunity. Lord, may we be the body of Christ, the example of what it is to follow Jesus to the rest of the world. Move in a mighty way with your spirit this morning among our hearts and everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is there? You can come and I will pray with you. The prayer isn't really what saves you. It's your belief. It's your turn in your heart. Will you do that today? Maybe you have other things you need to do. You need to follow in obedience and baptism. You need to uh, renew or recommit yourself. You need to be a part of the body like you've not been. Maybe you need to join our church, become a part of this local body of Christ. Whatever your decision is this morning, Tom's going to be in that corner. I'll be in this corner. Let's stand and sing and let God do business in your heart this morning.